Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the Leadership File, bringing you conversations with leaders and experts on leadership themes. I'm Andy Peck, your host, and whether you're listening live or one of the many thousands who listen via a podcast, it's great to have you along. So I welcome to the Leadership File this week, uh, Nigel Argle. Nigel is a qualified youth worker, also coach and mentor. He's worked in the charity sector in youth training and now has his own business as a coach, trainer and consultant. He works with the Church of England and the Free Methodist Church in Cornwall, amongst others. Uh, and since one of the uh, tough issues facing the church is how to reach and develop children and young people, I'm going to be looking forward to picking his brains on your behalf. So, Nigel, welcome to Leadership Farm. Thank you very much. I'm honoured. Uh, it was a great privilege to be here. So thank you. Looking forward to our conversation. So, I mean, you've been involved as a youth worker for over 20 years. Um, how did you get into it? Yeah, if I'm completely honest, um, I fell into it by accident at the beginning. I'm being really honest. I'd like to pretend I, I was clever and, and picked it, but I, I didn't. Um, got through a lot of my 20s, not really sure. I think my mum and dad were despairing of me, really couldn't settle on anything. I'd, I'd done everything from international lorry driving to, you know, selling computers in the early days of, of personal computers. It was it was the early days of churches employing uh, youth workers. I mean, some had done it for years, but I think on a, on a bigger scale. And um, my my beloved mother-in-law saw, saw this job in Dorset and said, look, you're always going down there with your wife, Helen, to go windsurfing. Why don't you, you know, you're not enjoying selling. Why don't you get the job and you'll be near the beach? And I kind of thought, well, let's give this a go. Uh, and so it, it really was, I mean, it was a little bit more serious than that, but, but not much more fell into it. And then it was kind of, okay, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. You were involved in the youth education sector, obviously, at Moorlands, uh, doing a course, or at least running courses. If you if you said to someone, okay, so you can, you're a volunteer in youth work, but actually, if you if you spent two years with us at Moorlands or three years at Moorlands, this is how you would change. What would be the kind of things you would be saying to them? What what's the value of? Uh, and, and indeed, people listening now may be thinking, why would I, why would I invest time in the, in this kind of sector? Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great question. Um, I, in some ways, I find this I always find this hard to talk about, Andy, partially because I am such an advocate for training. I, tend, I, I hate the word passionate because it's a cliche, but I, I'm just so passionate to maximize people's gifts and above all to see things done really well. And sometimes this is the bit where, where the danger is I end up sounding critical and, and, and bitter and it's, that's, that's never a good thing. But I, sometimes, I still sometimes despair of the church. It's, it's still the, um, 
sometimes it's still the last home for the sort of well-meaning amateur. Um, and, and, you know, this is such a hard thing because we all know people who are naturally gifted and actually you can. There are many people out there that have had no formal training that do great youth work. They can preach a sermon. They can they can lead a service. You know, the, the sort of metaphor of saying, you know, would you get on a plane with a pilot who had no formal training but just felt he had a gift from God? And we all go, oh, no, no, no. You know, that kind of metaphor slightly falls down in the Christian world because being good at stuff in church is a mixture of formal training and knowledge, but it is also about sort of personal gifting. So it's kind of, in some ways, it's hard to make that case that, that training, training is the be-all and end-all, but I actually think it's it's just so important. And um, I, I, um, I'm old enough that when I was at school, we still had a school motto. Um, I went to what had been Rickmansworth Grammar School. It was a comprehensive by the time I got there. Our, um, our school motto was Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds, they labour in vain. Now, that that sentence to me is is genius because, you know, it's saying unless the Lord builds, unless God inhabits our work, it's not going to work. And it's not just about being professional, being slick, being trained, having, you know, the latest theories. If God doesn't turn up and, and breathe the life of his spirit into what we're doing, it's not going to work. But that verse also says, unless the Lord builds, they labor in vain. We still have to labor. We still have to do the work. And I know this is a cliche, but, you know, we have to we have to pray that God will turn up and, and use our, our youth work, our children's work, effort and, and energy. But we, we also actually have to do the work as, as well as we, we possibly can. You know, I was reading the other day about the, the workers building the, the, uh, the, the temple or the tent first and then, and then Solomon's temple. You know, it was the best guys, the most skilled guys that were, were called in to do that. It's not, a, it's not an either or. Um, now, there's a really interesting thing here because in my experience, different organizations have different cultural attitudes to training. And I'm, I'm going to give you sort of two, two extreme examples. The first is for a couple of years as a volunteer, I was, I was padre, I was chaplain to 424 Squadron of the Air Training Corps, the Air Cadets in Southampton. Um, so as the name implies, it's, um, uh, it's a uniformed organisation, does fantastic work, but the clue is in the title, anything that stands still long enough gets trained. And they are obsessed with training. It's shooting rifles, uh, flying gliders, drill, field craft, training, 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 training. And as a result of that, I mean, brilliant organization. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I met young people who said things like, do you know what? I work in a shoe shop. I would have been working on the shop floor, but because of the skills I've learned here, uh, I'm now the shop manager. So, you know, they, they that organization, they would never talk about empowering young people, but actually that's that's what they do. So that's that's one extreme. The other extreme, and I think this will be interesting for your, your listeners, because I want you to think about your own organization, your own church. So the other extreme, and I'm not going to mention who this is, but one of the kind of the old house church movements, national denomination, when I was at Moreland's, we never ever got any students from them. And I could never understand why that was until I met a couple of leaders um, from that denomination. And I realized they have what I call a theology of instant equipping. You know, it's like, if you're good at youth work, God's giving you the gifts, just go and do it. Why would you spend three years and 30,000 pounds 
you know, on a, on a degree course at Nazarene or CYM or, or Mourns doesn't make sense. And if God takes that gift away, he'll get you doing something else. Now, needless to say, I, I don't particularly subscribe to that. I think most organisations are somewhere between those extremes. So not an either or. We have we have gifts, but I absolutely believe it's a biblical model to take those gifts and add formal training and, and discipline. So, so moving on, Nigel, let me give you um, some, what someone said to me about youth workers. Okay, so they yep. said they said, look, twenty years ago, your problem with a youth worker was uh, that they might burn out. You know, they come to you and they might burn out and they overwork. He said the problem now with youth workers is that they're asking the question, so when am I getting my time off? How many hours do I have to work? Now, it is a stereotype and it's very unfair on the present generation. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But but there has been uh, an understand well perhaps understandable um, nervousness about appointing youth workers and I I've known a number of local church situations which haven't gone well and the church has not been keen to replace the youth worker that they've lost and they've gone for a different kind of worker any any thoughts on that and particularly from a church lead with a church leader's hat on what are you looking for from a youth leader in particular. I mean, the, the first bit of that question, I don't think there's an easy answer to because I think that there has been, um, it's one of the bad aspects of evangelicalism in this country that um, we have too often revered workaholism and, and this is absolutely prevalent in Christian ministry and, and very much prevalent, I think, within you know, professional vicars and pastors and I mean, I mean, I've had this conversation a, a million times with people where, you know, you get together and they go, oh, I've had a day off in six weeks. And you kind of think, well, you know, Ten Commandments says have a Sabbath. I mean, I mean, who are you to sort of think that, that you know, that this is a kind of good way to work? And as a result, very often their own children are, are you know, bitter and disconnected from the church. So it's very, very hard. And I, I don't know, maybe we've got a generation of youth workers are almost reacting against that workaholism. I, I don't know, because you would you'd need to do um, some some research on that. In terms of what you're looking for, I mean, that's really hard because there isn't um, clearly it depends on what the job is and what your context is. Um, I am a great fan of um, what I call the three C's of recruitment. Now, I'm going to come clean here because the person who uh, probably advocated this most strongly is Bill Hybels, who I realise has somewhat disgraced himself. And I know some people would say that disqualifies everything he's written. I don't agree with that. He has made some colossal mistakes, but I think some of his leadership insights are still valid. His, um, his three C's are character, competence and chemistry. And I think this is a real, it's a real insight for us as Christians, as church leaders, but actually they're all really challenging. I mean, j- just briefly, so character, you know, uh, Andy, when I was at, at Morlins, the, the library there, we had you know, 35,000 books, uh, literally metres of book space devoted to, um, to leadership. What I noticed is there tends to be a dichotomy between the Christian literature and the non-Christian literature. Christian books tend to be obsessed with character. So, you know, it'll be, uh, they'll, they'll be full of sentences like, you know, the Christian leader is a man. Usually it was a man, you know, a man of God who reads his Bible and faithful in prayer and, and, and so on. Huge emphasis on, on character. Um, and of course, 
they, the authors will start quoting 1 Timothy and, and Titus and so on. Now, there's obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. And again and again, and this was very evident in, in the recent article in, in Christianity magazine, so often when Christian leaders fail, it is nearly always not their competence. They wouldn't have been in the leadership that they weren't competent. They're technically competent. It's a character failing, and it's the classic foster subjects, money, power, sex are the ones that people tend to fail on. Um, by contrast, the secular literature tends to be obsessed with competence. You know, it's about communicating your vision, strategizing, taking people with you, having the, the ruthlessness to, to sack people who aren't, aren't on message. It's that kind of thing. And again, we look at, and it's not just in the church, it's in, it's in the secular world as well. Again, it tends to be the, the character failures that catch out competent people. So we need character we also need competence the competence one is a particularly tricky one i think often for church leaders because i've, I've been involved with a lot of churches recruiting uh, youth workers family workers children's workers often the problem is they're recruiting a youth worker because they feel they don't know much about youth work the trouble with that is you are trying to recruit somebody into a specialist area that you don't actually know about so you know how do you judge whether this person in front of you actually is is competent so that's a that's a fairly unusual um uh, difficulty the third area though is is chemistry you know will they fit with the existing team you know if you've got a, a kind of classic um alpha male type leader you don't want another one you know there's, there's only room for one of those on a team you know how are they going to interact with the other people on the team um i love some of the work of um Belbin on teams and he says that the, the danger and this this is not a, a christian thing this is observable anywhere and particularly in the the corporate culture he made this observation we tend to recruit in our own image in other words if we are middle-aged white men we tend to recruit middle-aged white men we're, we're very unlikely to, to recruit a you know single black mother not because we're prejudiced it's just the kind of people we naturally resonate with um so i think the, the chemistry one is tricky it's particularly tricky if you have had any connection or involvement in modern hr human resource recruitment because um, there's a big emphasis now, correctly, there is a big emphasis on trying to eliminate those natural prejudices that we, we all tend to have. And a lot of recruitment systems now are on a kind of point system. People get, you know, so many points for qualification, experience, career development. The guy with the most points or the girl with the most points gets the job. The problem with that is it doesn't consider the chemistry. How will they yeah. fit with the existing team? So um, it's... Uh, I, I'm a great fan of, yeah, the three C's. You know, somebody could be brilliant, uh, unimpeachable character. They could be absolutely fantastic. Uh, but would they fit on your team? Uh, possibly not. Or maybe somebody's maybe not quite as good, but would fit really well. You know, you, you go with them. So I, uh, for me, that's a kind of great way of approaching it. I don't think you could say this is the perfect youth or children's worker because it just depends on the um yeah on the situation really but sure. three c's would be my big recommendation no, no, that's, that's really helpful thank you well you're listening to leadership file with me andy peck i'm joined this week by nigel argle uh we're talking particularly about uh, youth work and we'll be back just after this 
Welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Nigel Argel. Uh, Nigel is a qualified youth worker, coach and mentor, consultant. Uh, it's based down in Cornwall at the moment. Uh, works with the Church of England, Free Methodist Church in Cornwall. Uh, we're talking before the break a little bit about his passion for uh, for training, uh, having uh, himself um, overseen the training uh, of youth workers at uh, Moreland's College in Dorset. You mentioned Balbin because you're a great believer in utilizing the tools of, of management and leadership science yeah. to to assist christians and i just i just wondered if you you know you you, you uh, i don't know if you did a leadership course at, at morelands but if you if you were to say to have some christians in leadership for a year say or a couple of years what would be the kind of things you say hey i i'd, I'd want you to understand and grasp this particular approach as being key and and don't go into detail now because uh, mm. hopefully those listening can can look them up and 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 discover on wikipedia or wherever a little bit more so which would you go for yeah i mean that's a great question and it's a difficult answer for for a, a, a number of reasons um I think, you know, I've been writing this, this, this series of articles in, in Youth Work magazine, mm. and it's been called Toolbox. Um, and to me, that's a kind of, uh, it's so simple in some ways, it's ridiculous, but it's also a profound um, metaphor, because the whole point about a toolbox is you, you pull the tool out that you need for the job that you're doing. And then when the job's done, you put the tool back, you know, to, to develop that, that metaphor a little bit. You find yourself in a situation as a youth or children's worker, and it's a classic, you know, why is this person doing this? Why is this young person doing this? I, I don't understand where this is coming from. What you need is a tool that is going to help you explain that um, you use it and then you put it away. So, you know, if I'm completely honest, um, the tools that I probably use, I mean, my, the two sort of, you know, if this was the desert island sort of thing, <laughs> I could only take sort of half a dozen with me, um, that probably um, the angle scale has been the one that I've used most. Um, if you know anything about that, it's, it's, you know, people nowadays tend to come to faith as a series of incremental steps mm. um, rather than making a kind of great leap into the kingdom. Um, I've used that so often. First of all, any piece of work I do, I'm sort of thinking, where is the audience? Are they, you know, a long way from the kingdom of God, really close or part of the kingdom of God? It helps me, you know, make a judgment as to where to pitch that. Um, the other way that gets used is in sort of church strategy, really, or, or youth work strategy, because we need to have different things that are going to help us to reach people at every stage of that journey. It's no good just being brilliant with the, the Christian young people, but not having any outreach. It's no good being willing to outreach but not being able to kind of get them over the line we need a whole range of of activities and and initiatives at all the different stages to kind of can hopefully convey about young people into uh you know the presence of god and and the kingdom of god so angles would be a big one um i'm also a huge fan of westerhoff i mean i was literally having a conversation with a parent about a week ago westerhoff's got a sort of model for how faith develops over a period of time and the stages that young people go through. Um, I mean, ironically, you know, I think, Andy, part of the reason I discovered these things was um, because when I started, having gone on about how important training was, when I started as a youth worker, actually, I didn't have any formal training. And what I was quite good at doing was going, do you know what, I can wing that, I can get away with that. I'm really not doing very well on this thing here. I need to find out, you know, how to do this better. So, um, and I was fortunate enough over the years to work with some very professional vicars who were very much plugged into um, these kind of models and theories. So um, Engels, Westerhoff, um, 
Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, you know, that's, um, that's important. Um, but it's about having, as I say, it's about having the right tools. And if you don't have the tool, you need to go and find out what, what it is that's going to help you with this. Um, one of my favorite quotes, funnily enough, comes from Abraham Maslow, who was a great sort of, uh, you know, educational theorist. He said, quote, to the man who only has a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, that's the only tool in the box. Then you, know, you want to put it on a shelf, smash it onto the wall, tune your car, whack it a few times. You know, if the hammers, you, you kind of know the hammer's not the right thing, but yeah. it's the only one in the toolbox. So it's about a range of tools. And uh, I think it was a, was a Alanis Morissette saying about 30 years ago, you know, 10,000 spoons and all you want is a knife. Um, it's about the right tool at the right time. And I think probably, in my experience, most most professional workers, we have, you know, half a dozen favorites and then a few others that we kind of occasionally sort of drag out. Um, I actually had a really interesting experience just before lockdown. Um, I wrote an article, this is probably about six or nine months ago. Um, it's not a tool I use very much, but there's something called the conflict curve, which maps how disputes kind of accelerate over time and then stalemate and then are, are hopefully resolved. And you can apply it to anything from a sort of interpersonal conflict up to and including a complete war between two countries. Um, just before lockdown, I was asked by a school if I would come in and really it was about helping to resolve a personal dispute between two teachers. Uh, I said, look, I'm not a trained mediator, but if you want somebody objective just to come in and um, chair the meeting, I'm happy to give that a go. They said, yeah, that'd be great. Give it a bash. Um, I wasn't sure, but just before I went, I printed off about four or five copies of the, the conflict curve, literally just on a sheet of, of A4 paper, took them in with me. It was fascinating. I think the meeting lasted about two hours. And I think almost everybody in the room at some point picked up the bit of paper and said, well, you know, I think it went wrong here, or, or I think this is where we are now. And it was such a an amazing um, example of the power of these tools, particularly when they're visual, to enable people to sort of articulate quite complicated situations. And they don't necessarily agree, but it kind of gives you a, a language to, to sort of debate around. And it was, um, yeah, it was astonishing. It was a very powerful experience, actually, to see people using, actually using this in, in real life to talk about mm. what had happened, where they were, and, and where they were trying to get mm. to. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And obviously your your assumption in all this is you, you filter them through your biblical understanding. So, you know, you, you utilize all truth is God's truth. But obviously the, the, there may be some ways in which some of these tools are coming from a you know, a different perspective than, than the Bible would. And, I, I, and therefore yeah. you, do, you, you adjust them accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think there's um, there are some. Um, understands I just wouldn't use. Um, I, it's interesting. I, uh, a few years ago, I did a, I did an MA, and there was really quite a strong um, emphasis on anti-oppressive practice, anti-discriminatory practice, and actually a strong philosophical belief that quote people were innately good. Uh, the only reason they did bad things um, was because they they faced oppression and discrimination. Now, as a Christian. I don't buy that. I buy half of it. Yes, people are innately good. They are created in the image of God. They are capable of love and creativity and self-sacrifice and everything. That's that. I do agree with that. 
The bit that's missing for me theologically is you have to hold that intention with they are also sinners, they are broken, um, that is that is innate and inescapable, and even without oppression, they will do wrong things. So I think there's a, it is, I find it genuinely very interesting looking at these tools and saying, do we see this kind of process happening in the in scripture? Um, how strongly do I agree with the tool? Do I hold to it lightly, or is it absolutely something that I can I can grasp and, and use? And we, we need to do that intelligently. I mean, sometimes there are, um, it's an awkward fit with scripture. Uh, sometimes it's a really good fit. Sometimes the tools simply aren't that great. And then I'd be the first to say that. So, I mean, we've mentioned Belbin, uh, who's probably the, probably the most famous uh, theorist on how teams work. Belbin's great, but the problem was all his work was originally done with huge kind of um, blue chip FTSE 100 companies like you know British Telecom and BP and Shell. Um, it, the theory doesn't always work if you're running a tiny little church with you know four youth leaders or sort of one youth leader and two volunteers. Um, it fits, but it doesn't fit that well. And actually, Teams is one where actually I think we need better theories for uh, charity and voluntary sector. The Bel Belvin is the famous one because it's it, it's big in the commercial world, but it's not actually the the, the greatest tool in the toolbox for for small organisations. So okay. Sometimes it's the limits of the the tools themselves. Mm. Well, Nigel, we could. We could chat on much longer. It's fascinating to have your insights, but time's defeated us. So thank you so much for, for all that you shared. No, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Well, thank you. That was uh, Nigel Argel, who's the um, qualif he's a qualified youth worker. He's uh, a coach, mentor and consultant. Uh, how would people get in touch with you, Nigel, if they... Um... Uh, yeah, I've got um, the easiest way. I've got a website and you can message me through that. So uh, it's Argle, which is A-R-G-A-L-L, argle.co.uk. Just look me up on the internet. You'll find some pictures of my ugly mug and my dog and uh, details of what I do. So that'd be great. That's fabulous. Thank you so much. Well, uh, and thank you for listening to, uh, this week, whether you're listening uh, live or via the podcast. Look forward to your company again next Sunday at uh, four o'clock. 